Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're all very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. We hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. Today, we'll be discussing past, current and future fertilizer trends in Ireland. The government's climate action plan has set out an ambitious target to reduce chemical nitrogen fertilizer use by 20% by 2030. So today we're going to be hearing how Irish farmers are driving down the use of fertilizer and the positive impact that this is having on farmers' pockets and the environment. And we're delighted to be joined by Mark Plunkett, who is training and development specialist with Chagask uh, at the Signpost program in Chagask, and Pat Murphy, who you all know is head of the KT Environment Program. Uh, but um, Pat, uh, during your time that you're not hosting webinars, you're also involved in some of the the, the research activities and and developing some figures around this area. Could you tell us a little bit about what you what you've been doing in this area? Yeah, so I suppose for the last more than ten years now, Mark and, and I have been looking at uh, trends in soil fertility. We we take in between forty and seventy thousand, depending on the year samples each year, and and each year we do a fairly thorough analysis on on that data to, and on and looking at it over a time period to track soil fertility and what's going on in in soil fertility, which is very much related to to the use of fertilizer and 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 to the use of lime, and it's I suppose it's a key element of our ability to produce crops and to produce grass for for uh, our, our animals but it's also a key indicator of our ability to effectively use the fertilizers that we that we uh, put out and to maintain that fertilizer in uh, uh, as productive and not to lose it to the environment so it's an absolutely key indicator of what's happening on the ground and in uh, for the future, how we will manage to achieve the uh, targets that were set, both for production and environmental. Right. Okay. Thanks, Pat. And yeah, no. Look, uh, I know the the figures. Uh, you you have a lot of detailed figures, both from from soil samples, and then we also have industry figures as well. Mark, you've recently made a move. You were uh, working very much as a specialist in this area until recently. Yes, Mark, I, I was, yeah, I was working in the whole area of soil and plant nutrition, um, you know, working with, with advisors, specialists, farmers, the industry, and I'd say recently, yes, I've moved across to the signpost program, again, uh, working the whole area of training and development, um, and again, you know, fertilizers, you know, will be a, a component of that, and I suppose, I suppose maybe putting the figures on it around climate, around, you know, you know, emissions, whether it's nitrous oxide, you know, methane, ammonia. So, yeah, I suppose getting my head into that whole space um, and, like, you know, fertilizer is a is a big part of that. So, yeah, very much looking forward to the challenge ahead and in the years ahead to, you know, making a difference. And again, working with everybody involved in, I suppose, making that transition mark um, around, as we say, around the whole area of fertilizer use and I suppose the sustainable use and um, meeting the targets there as laid out in the MAC or in the Climate Action Plan, you know, in terms of reducing uh, emissions you, from agriculture. You've been out on the ground meeting with farmers, industry. What's the overall reaction to this this message that you're 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 broadcasting that uh, we do need to to look at the, the 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 fertilizer that we're using or the the, the mounts and the targeting of that fertilizer. Yeah, I suppose. Look, it's I suppose it's getting people on on track. Like I suppose we're it's you know in in agriculture we have a plan, we have the Mac, we have the technologies, and you know people are taking the technologies on. And I suppose it's it's working with farmers around the language. And I suppose you know we're fortunate in that there's a lot of the technologies there, as well as reducing emissions, whether it's uh, nitrous oxide or, or methane, they put money back into farmers' pockets as well. So there is a there's a cost benefit there. Um, in terms of adopting the technologies and a lot of the te technology we, ha we have the, the science is very solid they're proven um, and they will deliver in terms of meeting our climate targets great great mark i'll hand over to you and we'll we'll chat to well you. in fact I'll, I'll i'll make a start i'll, oh, sorry. I'll, mark, I'll let mark do the vast bulk of the, of the work here this morning but I, <laughs> I, I i'll start out um and i suppose what we're going to do look at uh, uh, is just a little bit of background and then we'll look in a little bit more detail 
at lime use and, and soil pH trends, which is a key indicator of, of soil fertility. And we'll then look at, I suppose, uh, fertilizer use over the last decade and a, and a half or, or and even a little bit longer and matching that to soil P and K for fertility trends uh, and how the two of those uh, interlink and, and that important linkage. And uh, then we'll, we'll look at some of the benefits of soil fertility and we'll look at some of the, the solutions to reduce uh, nitrogen use in, in, in particular. And I suppose getting on to the, the data set that we have, uh, for a long number of years, uh, DAFM uh, gather information on fertilizer use annually, and that's annually. That's detailed by by product, and it's it, it's been based on sales. And we're we're at a, a a change point in in that data because from next year onwards, we will have the fertilizer use. So it will now go from being a a kind of a, a an entire industry based uh, uh, measurement of fertilizer use to a farm by farm. Uh, a, a detailed analysis at, at farm level, which will be available to the farmer and available to the, the advisor. And that will make that a, a significant tool in, in, I suppose, helping to guide uh, farmers to uh, uh, to the effective use of, of, of fertilizer. And on the other side, Chagas uh, provides uh, soil analysis services to its clients. And we have a comprehensive data set uh, going back to 2007, and with that data set, we, we track it. Uh, it's pretty much the first job I do when I come back every year is, is to run the figures for, for, the, for the previous year and update the, the tracking. And each year, uh, Mark and I bring out a, a publication in, in relation to what's happening to the, the, the trends in, in uh, um, soil fertility. But that data and that soil fertility data combined with fertilizer use is something we've been using very heavily to drive advisory messaging on fertilizer use and, and soil fertility. And I suppose what we're trying to do is avert crises in terms of there's been a number of, of times where it looked as if soil fertility was, was uh, uh, declining and uh, messaging from advisors in terms of lime use, in terms of P and K use, uh, were required to bring usage back up to sustainable levels. And uh, I suppose the, 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 the question that you could ask is, is why is it uh, so important to, to analyze the, this data? But uh, soil fertility and combined with, with uh, crop nutrition is the, the very basis of our, of our livestock systems. And uh, on top of that then for nitrogen, uh, that soil fertility is an absolute key to the efficiency with that with, with which that uh, nitrogen is used. So the drive for reduced N is heavily based around us having a very high level of soil fertility and and doubling that up, our ability to grow uh, uh, clover in particular, which uh, is a lot of the basis as well of us being able to reduce nitrogen use, is again dependent on having uh, high uh, pH and high uh, P and K levels in, in our soils. Um, but in relation to uh, phosphorus and, and nitrogen, we we are trying to make sure that, that we are using our nitrogen efficiently and that we're achieving balances between the use of nitrogen and the losses to the environment. And again, with, with phosphorus, the same story, making sure that the phosphorus that we're applying uh, uh, applying for crop use is not lost uh, uh, to water. And we have a lot of targets have been set in, in, out for us in this respect, uh, targets in the in the climate action plan, but also at, at a European level, farm to fork, I think sets out the, the target for us very well in that it, it has asked us to reduce the usage of nitrogen and, and uh, chemicals, chemical fertilizer by 20% in terms of usage. But it set a further challenge to, uh, in, uh, to reduce the losses to the environment uh, by 50%. So it's not just a, a reduction in the usage that we've been asked to achieve, it's uh, to use it a lot better, a lot more efficiently and uh, uh, stopping the, the losses to the environment. And just to look at the, the key pathways, so there's, it's not a, the entirety of it, but some of the key losses, when we apply nitrogen, and particularly 
uh, can in the form of uh, uh, in the form of can we we tend to lose nitrous oxide uh, uh, to the air. Uh, ammonia is the other big uh, concern in terms of, of of losses from from fertilizer, and that's lost pr primarily from urea-based uh, fertilizers. And then for, for on the water side, uh, nitrate losses tends to happen down through the soil profile. Uh, as we get a wetting of soils, it takes the nitrate down with it into the, the into the, the subsurface uh, water, and and then that goes back up to the rivers. Phosphorus is by and large different with the, the losses of phosphorus tending to be in particulate matter and in solution across the surface of the soil and, and into rivers. And that means we tend to get problems with phosphorus and problems with nitrates in different parts of the environment. So there's a huge challenge there. And I think what I'll hand over to Mark now, uh, just to, to, I suppose, give us a, a, an insight into how we can potentially meet some of those challenges through better use of fertilizer. Wow. Okay, that's super, Pat. Thanks for that super introduction. As I say, it's a it's a very good point to to to, to hand over. Um, I say, look, it's I suppose it's it's a two pronged approach in terms of that we're trying to reduce nutrient losses in in terms of you know in terms of water and also in terms of air quality in terms of nitrous oxide and ammonia. So look, I suppose this morning, um, in, as they were very much a focus on fertilizer, but look, the basis to getting fertilizer efficiency very much starts with with lime, and I I really can't talk about fertilizer unless I talk about lime first. So again, what I have here is we have the lime usage data from the Department of Agriculture over the last 50 years, and you can see what's happened. So I'm going to walk you through maybe in three, three, three phases. So if you go back to the early the 70s and the early 80s, we were using somewhere in the region of about 1.68 million tonnes of, of lime. So a whopping amount of lime. There was a lot happening back then in terms of agriculture. And I suppose the big drivers that we would see, um, as well as agriculture going through a big transition back in, in that window, um, you know, there was free soil sampling and also there was a liming subsidy and you can see in those years you know what I mean there's only two years out of that that first window there that we spread less than 1.5 million tons of lime so again a big requirement nationally for lime again very much linked to our climate in terms of rainfall and also the type of soils that we have in terms of regulating or controlling soil acidity if we look at the next window, then again, about, you know, about 30 years, again, lime usage reduced significantly. We're back to somewhere around 800,000 tonnes of lime. So nearly 50% of what we spread in the previous uh, decade and a half. And again, you can see in those years, we seldomly hit over a million tonnes of lime. There's only sort of two occasions there, even three. And again, that was very much linked to the ag the the, the schemes and as in terms of reps and also weather is also a big factor that we have to manage as well you can see 2012 there we're back to you know just above half a million tons and again we picked up the remainder of that lime in 2013 if we move it on then to you know in the last i suppose decade and uh, lime usage has increased um you can see there is a lot more of the bars closer to the million tons. And again, in the last two years, we have managed to exceed that usage of lime. And you may ask the question, like, you know, what's happened? If we looked at the last day, uh, the last 20 years uh, that, you know, we're, we're quite familiar with. Um, if I just draw a line there, you can see in, in you know, from 03 to 12, again, you can see lime usage was only averaging about 700,000 tons. So you can see five out of the 10 years were just above half a million tons. And again, this was something that, again, we identified and we worked on. Again, there was a soil fertility knowledge transfer awareness campaign kicked off in 2012. Seems a long time now. But again, if we look back over that time frame, you know, you know, again, down to people on the call, advisors, again, there was a big push on there. There was a lot of research going on. And look, we managed to hit somewhere around an average of a million tons of, of lime. Um, in that window and I said the last two years we're, we're hitting sort of 1.3 1.4 million tonnes um, of lime so again if we bring that on as Pat's talked about so we've seen a, a 30% increase uh, in the last um, decade compared to the, to the previous decade again if we look at what happened on farm in terms of soil fertility trends so again 
um, you know, if we if we look, you know, I suppose the driver of the the soil for the 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 soil fertility campaign uh, back in twelve was that we had a lot of soils. Only thirty five percent of our soils were optimum for PK and lime. And again, if we look at the enterprises, dairy had thirty three percent of samples testing with optimum dry stock thirty one and tillage sixty percent. So again, this is something that we needed to work on. And again, we kicked off a, a soil fertility campaign um, with with a big focus on lime. Um, back in 2012 and again if I just draw another line 2016 so again in terms of soil sampling it's it's very cyclical so again we're sampling every four five six years so you can see um, you know we did see improvement in the years thereafter like 2016 was a big soil sampling year we hit about 65,000 samples and again the years thereafter was a a big a big number of samples taken as well but we went up to 64 percent of soils with optimum lime so again, farmers did take on the message. Again, there was a lot more lime spread, and again, we got a a, a good you know response in terms of um the the results that were coming back in through the advisory service. Also, in eighteen, there was a nutrient efficiency program again targeted at the more intensive farmers in terms of being more efficient uh, with 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 how we, they use fertilizer. And again, you can see today there's somewhere around fifty three percent of our soils optimum in terms of pH on dairy farms, dry stock. 43% and tillage 78%. Again, look looking forward to the years ahead, again, we see a, a downward trend there. And again, we are using more lime in the last two years. We also have investment at government level in terms of the national liming program. So again, that will take an effect. And I believe that the, the thinking around lime and the importance of lime is very much alive out there on farm, that it is going to be a key enabler in terms of us meeting and maintaining that target of 300,000 tonnes of um, um, chemical fertiliser. Okay, if we if we bring it on then in, ter- in terms of fertiliser use, so again, we have about, you know, over 30 years of data there on on the slide for um NP and K use. Um, and again, I suppose just maybe to, to, to draw your eye to maybe so some bits of information first so i suppose look you know back in the in the in the 90s you know in the early mid 90s we were using a lot of a lot of p's and k's again if you compare that to today we're only using 45 percent of the p and about 40 percent of the k so again that is you know a, a concern and i suppose if we also look at the product mix we use a lot of say you know the, the, the high pk products that the 0730s the 0120s now again that has changed over the last number of years that there is a bigger i suppose range of products out there and a lot more blending going on and but again on the grassland side you would like to see more of a return to those high pk products in terms of building and maintaining soil fertility so again um in the next little while i'm going to have a look at three phases um i suppose significant um i suppose events in the the data or in that that fertilizer use data um you know what I mean? Um, so there's three, there's three, there's three windows there, and again, we'll then we'll have a look as regards the current, what's happening, and maybe what we should be doing, um, in in the years ahead. So again, if I bring you back to, you know, between 07 and 2010, and even prior to that, you can see there was, you know, in terms of at farm level, there was decoupling, there was a reduction in livestock numbers, and again, we were coming down off the high usage of both NPKs. Um, into that window in 2007 to 2010. So again, look back then we had a we had a um, a fertilizer crisis. Um, you know, again those high oil prices, those low product prices in terms of meat, milk, and grain. Uh, there was also a reduction uh, in production capacity in terms of the fertilizer plants. There was a lot of um, older plants taken out of um, production. So again, it limited supply. Um, and again, between high energy prices. Uh, limited supply fertilizer um, prices increased by 500%. And again, I suppose also in that window as well, nutrient legislation came in. But um, but again, you can see what happened. Fertilizer use, um, again, we hit an all-time low, 306,000 tonnes of nitrogen, 20,000 tonnes of P, and 52,000 tonnes of potassium. Um, so again, we can bring that on to the, the to the national uh, fertilizer use survey of two thousand and five to two thousand and fifteen, and again we can pick up during that window, use at farm level was extremely low. Um, like if you take the likes of say dry stock there, uh, stocked at two cows per hectare, we've requirement ten kilos, and you can see on cattle farms the usage was back to about two kilos per hectare. The same on on dairy farms, again maintenance levels of P is about fourteen kilos of P per hectare, and again you can see a significant reduction 
uh, they were far from the the maintenance line in terms of maintaining soil pea on the on the grazing ground. Uh, uh, sorry, in terms of potassium, again the same. Uh, you can see there potassium levels were well back. So on dry stock, the maintenance is about 15 kilos per hectare. And again, you can see we're back to sort of 8 uh, to 10 kilos of, of, of K per hectare on dry stock farms. And dairy farms are well off. The maintenance there is about 30 kilos of K per hectare on the grazing ground. And you can see you can see levels were, were back a lot. They were back by, you know, up to 200% on dairy farms. And the same on the tillage side of the house. Again, uh, you know, K levels were back significantly like if you take tillage crop requires say spring barley requires about 70 75 kilos of k per hectare and again use back to you know between you know eight kilos to 12 kilos in that window so again you know when you're below maintenance levels you're you're eating in or you're mining both soil p and k and again you're running down soil fertility so again if you look into the database in in that window you can see what happened so again you know when we stopped applying uh, or reduced our application of P's and K's. You know, you can see there in 07, we had about 40% of soils at index one for P, and that went to nearly 60%. So we picked it up. We picked it up very, very quickly in terms of the soil test results. The same on the potash front. Again, we had about 40% at index one and two back in 07, and we've seen that rising to, you know, 53% in the, the years thereafter. So again, you know, uh, it is important to look back to, to see, you know, its impacts in terms of, of fertilizer use. Okay, the next window there, if we look at between um, 2017 and 2019, so I suppose from that low in 09, it took a long number of years for the use of both P and K to recover. And again, we've seen that recovery um, between 2017 and 2019, you know, it took us a, a long number of years to get back to where we were, say, in the early 2000s. And again, look, we hit record usage of nitrogen at 408,000 tonnes, uh, phosphorus 46,000 tonnes, and K 120,000 tonnes in terms of, you know, maintaining the system in terms of, of P and K. And again, look, if I bring you back, you know, what are the drivers back then? So again, we had a drought. Uh, in 18 so again very very dry summer we had eaten into silage stocks and again i suppose you know we were trying to avoid a fodder shortage uh, come the winter so again on the back of that more fertilizer was spread to build um uh you know reserves for winter fodder also milk quotas were you know were abolished um back in 2016 so again you know we were increasing productivity you know profitability was good uh, in that window and also as well to, to remember we, we had probably some of the lowest fertilizer prices back you know uh, like nitrogen was was less than 200 euros per ton if i recall uh, back during um that time frame so again okay what what effect did that have so again we we're on a rising plane and um, we we're increasing productivity levels there was a big demand for p and k and again we did pick up an improvement in terms of um soil p like for example uh, again we went from over 60 percent of our soils at index one and two you know to just you know somewhere around 53 percent now again look this is a, still a, a lot of soils that are you know very low or low in terms of um p supply and again we've seen the same effect in terms of potash that you know we had about 55 percent over half our soils index one and two back in 16 and then with the increase in fertilizer use that went back to somewhere in the region of about 42 percent of our soils um at um index one and two um so again you know we can pick up the i suppose the change in fertilizer practice um in the soil test results um over time in, in terms of the the trends Okay, the final the final window then, again, if we look at the more recent years, 2020 to 2023. So again, I suppose just to maybe refresh us as regards what has happened in, in that time frame. So again, we had COVID-19, um, you know, uh, back in late 19, you know, early 2020. Also, it was a time of high energy prices. You know, fertilizer price was rising, if you remember, um, in 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 those years and again that was impacting on on fertilizer use we also had then uh, the russian ukraine war so again that drove prices even further again um in the in the spring of of 22 also there was a reduction in production capacity you know the normal challenge 
channels for fertilizer supply into Europe had changed. There was also sanctions in terms of trade. There was trade disruption. There was also freight had got quite expensive as well. There was a number of ships decommissioned uh, during those years. And again, uh, there was sort of a limited. Um, so there's a number of factors, I suppose, driving price. Um, and I suppose the one positive during that window is that product prices were high. You know, uh, grain, milk, meat were at um, all-time highs in terms of um, um, product prices. So that did shoulder the impact of the high fertilizer prices um, encountered um, um, during during that, that window. So, um, and look, in terms of usage, um, usage in 2022, again, took a big hit. Again, nitrogen was back by 14%. And again, I suppose concerningly, um, Phosphorus was back and potassium was back, uh, you know, 26% phosphorus and potassium back by 24%. So again, price having a big impact on, on usage. Um, I suppose the only positive there is that we were, I suppose we were, we were, we were at a high usage, a level usage in the previous year, but again, a significant reduction um, in, in, in usage. Uh, there is figures out there for 2023. Again, there is industry figures out there at the minute. Um, and again, nitrogen has taken, again, a further a drop of up to 18%. We're at somewhere around 280,000 tonnes of nitrogen. Phosphorus, again, back about 10% and potassium back about 12%. So again, look, um, you know, with fertiliser use back, um, like th- there is a positive in there in terms of that we are meeting our our chemical nitrogen target for 2030 as in the climate action plan um we're you know we're meeting both targets and even in the mac we're we're meeting that target as well at 280,000 tons but of 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 concern is you know we are in an era of um you know reduced nitrogen usage and we have to use that nitrogen more efficiently and p and k is essential to using that nitrogen as efficiently as possible in terms of a positive we we are probably in one of the biggest years in terms of soil testing. We're we're here in Chagos. We're at about you know seventy thousand soil samples plus for twenty twenty three, which is one of the biggest years in the last two decades. But I'm encouraging everybody on the call now is the time to take action. You know, if you haven't soil tested in the last two years, get soil samples taken over the coming weeks and months, and again plan your fertilizer, put a fertilizer plan in place and make sure that we deliver sufficient P and K um, to maintain nitrogen efficiency in 2024. Okay, so look, you might ask the question, why build soil fertility? And again, it's very much linked to nitrogen use efficiency. So again, in terms of phosphorus, where you maintain soils in that sweet spot or that sweet zone, zone at index three you know we can improve nitrogen efficiency by up to 15 percent compared to an index one or an index two soil this is again more work from johnstown castle here so again it just shows the importance of soil fertility in terms of driving nutrient use efficiency so again again if i can draw you in in terms of if we've low soil ph low p and k we're at about 35 percent nitrogen efficiency as we improve pH, we go to about 51% nitrogen use efficiency, and then we can step it up, you know, where you optimize soil P, soil K, and then optimum soil fertility with PK and lime, um, we can get 63% nitrogen use efficiency. Like currently on grassland, we've about 18% of our soils at optimum uh, PK and lime. So again, there is a lot of work to be done there. On tillage, we're at somewhere around, you know, 20, 20 two percent of our soils with optimum um pk and lime okay so again in terms of climate again an, another benefit of lime um, as in terms of an, an, an enabler in terms of reducing nitrous oxide emissions so you can see there where we maintain higher soil ph levels again we drive efficiency and we also uh, we can reduce nitrous oxide emissions by up to 39 percent so again, lime, a, a key technology in terms of reducing nitrous oxide emissions. Also in terms of soil P fertility. So again, this is another measure in the MAC. So where we can optimize soil P fertility, we can also reduce nitrous oxide emissions as well. So again, work from Johnstown Castle here on a moderately drained soil and a well-drained soil, we can reduce nit- nitrous oxide emissions by moving from index one to index three by 16 to 25%. So again, big, big benefits in terms of getting soil fertility right um, in terms of reducing our gaseous emissions. Okay, look, in terms of, um, we're talking about fertilizers. So again, in terms of nitrogen type. Uh, so again, I suppose traditionally we have been a country 
um, where we use can and urea. So again, from an ammonia point of view, again, can <clears throat> is good, the little ammonia emissions. Urea, potentially high ammonia emissions. And again, in terms of greenhouse gases, again, can is a, a, a you know, there's significant la or, uh, emissions in terms of nitrous oxide from the nitrate component of, of can, where urea has a very, very low um, N2O or nit nitrous oxide emissions. So again, um, look, in terms of switching from urea to protected urea, you might ask the question why. The big benefit here is that we can reduce uh, ammonia emissions by up to 78%. Again, you know, this research is very, very solid. It's going on for over 10 years here in Johnstown Castle. And again, you know, the NBPT type products where you have a good level of inhibitor on them, that's the level of ammonia emissions that we can achieve. And again, the other switch, when you switch from can to protected urea, again, we can reduce the, the nitrous oxide or the greenhouse gas emissions by 71%. So again, there's a there's a double uh, win here uh, by switching to protected urea as the main nitrogen source source, and it's probably the most effective technology that we have in the toolbox in terms of meeting our 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 climate action uh, target of a 25% reduction. Like on an intensive livestock farm, we can achieve a total farm emission reduction of between seven to eight percent in terms of carbon emissions. So again, it's a it's a, a key technology uh, in terms of us reducing our meeting our targets um, in the in the years ahead. Okay, so again, I have uh, sulfur here as well. So again, a lot of work being done in the last number of years uh, here in Johnstown Castle by Claire Aspel and Patrick Forrestal on the role of sulfur uh, in terms of end use efficiency and also reducing nitrate leaching. So again, where we have uh, sufficient levels of sulfur in terms of fertilizer. Um, you know, can with sulfur, we can reduce nitrate leaching by 63%. So again, a, a key technology, um, sulfur. The same on the silage ground, you know, think of your, your silage ground where you have slurry and can. Again, by having sufficient levels of sulfur in there, we can reduce nitrate leaching by up to 60%. So again, something as simple as sulfur. Again, you know, balance, very, very important in terms of reducing or increasing uh, nitrogen efficiency and reducing um, um, leaching. Okay, so so folks, look, we, we are in, a, I suppose, a different place in 2023 and in the years ahead between now and 2030, that the challenge is that, you know, we have to meet that target in terms of reducing our emissions, that 300,000 tonnes of, of chemical nitrogen. So again, you know, what can we do or, or what are the tools in the toolbox? So again, look, soil testing, um, again, we're in a good place. We have a lot of soil samples taken, um, especially in 2023 and in previous years. There's still time to take more soil samples, but it's very much back to, you know, in, in improving soil fertility, improving soil structure, improving soil health in terms of balancing that nutrient supply. So again, it starts with soil pH, you know, supplying the correct, the balanced supply of both, you know, P and K. Sulfur is a key nutrient in there in terms of improving um, nitrogen efficiency and then putting on the correct amount of nitrogen based on your soil type or based on your system to drive that system or fuel that system um, you know, in terms of um, um, in the years ahead. Lime, look, I can't overemphasize the importance of lime. We are in a good place. Uh, there's a lot of lime to, to go out on farms. Um, and again, if weather conditions improve over the coming, you know, weeks and, and month, again, I will be getting lime out. Um, you know, as I say, there is a lot of lime in the system to go out there uh, between now and next spring. But again, it's a key tool in terms of reducing nitrous oxide emissions. It's also an enabler. It's a technology that can enable us to reduce our nitrogen, like by improving the pH from, you know, say a pH of 5.5 up to 6.3, 6.5, we can reduce our nitrogen requirement by about 60 kilos. And again, that puts money back in our pockets. That can save us around 72 euros of, sorry, 72 euros per hectare in reduced um, chemical end costs. Slurry, again, look, we've made massive progress in terms of slurry. The technology is moving out on farm and uh, we have moved from the splash plate to the low emission technology. And again, you know, the biggest crop we have in this country is first cut silage. 
And again, you know, by moving the slurry application into the spring of the year, we can reduce that crop requirement by about 20 kilos per hectare. So that's about 15 to 20 percent of the crop's nitrogen requirement coming from slurry. And again, you know, low emission spreading technology, that is the way to do it. And again, you can reduce your fertilizer costs by about 45 euros per hectare. In terms of protected urea, uh, we, we've talked about it, but again, there is ongoing work here in Johnstown Castle, and we can show that we can reduce the rate of nitrogen by about 10% in grassland where we use protected urea over straight urea. And again, there's also a significant cost savings there of in the region of 20 to 25% in terms of the, the farm uh, nitrogen fertilizer bill. And the final technology that I'll, I'll put in on the, on, the, on the table here this morning is clover and multi-species. Uh, we have a lot of work done on clover, a lot of work ongoing on clover, and again, a lot of work being done on multi-species. But again, you know, we can replace between 50 and 150 kilograms of N per hectare per year. And again, put money back in our pockets somewhere in the region of 60 to 180 euros per hectare. So with that, Pat, I'm going to hand back to yourself to maybe give us an idea around uh, the, the, the fertilizer strategy going forward. Okay, thanks, Mark. And uh, I'll get you to, to, to edge this on as, as, as we go through it. Okay, so uh, I suppose just looking at what's happening over the last couple of years and just looking at, I suppose, the ask and the consequences on what that uh, ask can deliver over the next couple of years. So we've seen a drop in uh, overall nitrogen use uh, from 400,000 tonnes in, in 2021. Looks like it'll be in or around and maybe even a little bit less than the 300,000 tonnes, but there's a, there is a little bit of a, an adjustment for, for stocks there. But I suppose that the target is now to try and maintain uh, that level going forward. So I, I know there's been a lot of reasons for it, but what we're trying to do is to, to maintain that. If we then look at the can-based urea, so what I'm talking about here is, is pure can and also the, the uh, low PK products uh, such as Cutsward and Pasture Sward. Effectively, problem there is they're, they're high emitters, as, as Mark pointed out, of, of nitrous oxide. And over the next couple of years, uh, I think we need to be targeting to shift the, uh, the, uh, some of the can to protected urea but also to shift some of it to the high PK uh, uh, compounds and particularly a shift away from some of the low PK compounds because the, the reduction in the amount of nitrogen is by virtue of the, the, the fact that we have, uh, I suppose, a, a, a set number of products with mixes of P and K. We're also seeing the, the, high, or the high level of reduction in P's and K's. So to counteract that and to, to get back to somewhere near the amount of P and K, we're going to need to shift uh, from some of the can-based products to the uh, higher P, uh, uh, PK DAP-based uh, products, the likes of 18612. Uh, I won't put a foot in it. I, my view, uh, we need to take urea out of the system altogether and, and put it in as, as protected urea. And I mean, there's very good reasons behind it. That we're looking at urea in terms of its loss of uh, ammonia to the atmosphere. And ammonia is a gas which has damaging effect on the both on the environment and on human health. And, and it also is attracting a huge level of, or the potential for a huge level of fines at a European level for not meeting targets. So we're, we, we need to, 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 to make that shift also. So I, I suppose what we're saying is a target of 300,000 tonnes in 2025, 40% of it can-based, uh, all the urea shifted to protected urea and uh, an increase in the high PK products. What that will deliver for us as a, an industry will be lower overall fertiliser costs for, farmer, for farmers, will reduce the fertilizer-based uh, uh, greenhouse gases by 40% uh, versus the 2021 figure. Massive reduction, not where we need to be by, 2020, by 2030, but a hell of a long way down the line. The next issue, we reduce fertilizer ammonia by 50% again, which will bring us uh, al along with uh, the use of, of less. 
very close to the targets we have for ammonia emissions and avoid potentially those fines and get the, the, the benefits from human health and, and uh, environmental health. And also uh, the general reduction in, in uh, nitrogen use will help reduce the, the losses to water. So if we can nudge our fertilizer use in that direction, we will achieve a massive amount in terms of uh, uh, reduced impact on a, a whole variety of, of uh, environmental factors and also uh, uh, improve profitability at farm level. Thank you very much. That was uh, a lot of facts and figures there, but uh, no, you, you you went through them very, very uh, uh, gradually. And look, we have um, a huge amount of interest in this whole area this morning. We have a lot of viewers uh, dialing in this morning uh, and some really good questions coming through. Um, some questions coming in around, you know, the, the increased use of organic uh, fertilizers. Uh, I know you didn't make, I know you referred to the slurry, but are, you know, is are we seeing an increased usage of organic uh, fertilizers um, that are yeah. uh, byproducts from other industries, for example? Yeah, I, I would think definitely, Mark, uh, there is a greater focus, focus at farm level to you know, to, to use the slurry more efficiently, you know, in terms of it's a valuable source of NP and K in terms of timing, the method of application. Yeah, I think there is a big drive out there and even alternative sources like, you know what I mean, um, the likes of, say, poultry manure, um, even the likes of pig slurry, that people are seeking it out to meet their, their crops nutrient requirements. And I suppose there's there's the other, I suppose, factor in there as well as the carbon element, especially on the tillage soils, that you can put carbon back into the system and even on your silage ground very, very important to get the slurry back out to the to the silage ground, you know what I mean, in terms of returning the nutrients, but also putting that carbon back in. Like the, the research from Johnstown here would show that we can get an extra 1.5 tonnes of dry matter on the silage ground when you look at, say, straight chemical fertiliser versus where you have slurry in the mix. So it's a... I suppose the other thing going on in Mark is there's a finite pool of it. And I suppose the, the real focus is on improving the the timing and improving the, the methodology of use and, and focusing on it on where it's needed, particularly on soils where uh, there is low P's and K's uh, to make to get maximum value of it. Make sure it goes to the right place. And of course, you have the, the, the clover working away in the field as well, which is the other other uh, producer of of of, uh, of nitrogen. The the um there was a lot of discussion before about the the soil testing that we're doing that we're very much focused. And I know today we're talking about NP and K largely, but uh, in in terms of the, the that broader spectrum of understanding what's going on in the soil and the performance of our soils is, is there much work happening there to to look at those types of tests where we're okay we have the mineral tests but i know there are some biological tests that are uh being being examined uh how popular are they yeah you're, you're talking about the biology mark is it in terms of like i, I know there is work going on i know fiona brennan here in johnstown is looking at the whole microbial side in terms of the important role of those different communities. Um, I know on the multi-species swords as well that they are finding, a, a, you know, that they are they are um, seeing different microbial communities that um, are, you know, improving soil health, improving soil quality. Um, yeah, there, there, there is work going on. I don't know, Pat, can you shine yeah, on? Yeah, and that? I suppose the other thing that's that's happening is is the Department of Agriculture um, soil testing scheme now as well, which is using a much broader base of um, soil tests with the, the possibility of, of the replacement of the current suite of tests, which have some problems with health and safety from some of the products used in them. Uh, so there's... Uh, I suppose it's it's an investigation into into the possibility of of using these these broader testing and an opportunity to calibrate them against our our, our current testing. Uh, so that's uh, about to to kick off with with testing going on probably later in December and and, and in January. Okay. We have uh, some audience questions coming in around uh, the sulfur additions uh, with respect to synthetic nitrogen use, and in particular for well-drained soils, sulfur helps to bind nitrogen to soil particles and the root zone improves efficiency. Are farmers widely adopting sulfur use, and uh, is it appropriate, I suppose, in all circumstances? 
Yeah, look, social stuff for use has has increased, Mark, and there is a I suppose a wider range of products on the market. Like you know what I mean, your blends, your your nitrogens, um, you know, sulfur. There is more sulfur out there, and again, we're we're getting I suppose you know very good responses to sulfur, you know, across a range of soil types. Like there is less sulfur coming from the atmosphere than what there was historically, you know, even on heavy soils. Like we're seeing up to a ten percent yield response from the addition of sulfur. And then to your very your lighter soils where there's less carbon, less organic matter, we're seeing up to a 43% yield response to, to sulfur. And again, it's very much driving nitrogen use efficiency. So yeah, and sulfur I, is, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the key things there is, is uh, that the research is showing uh, very significant losses of nitrate to water where, uh, uh, arising from the use of, of sulfur, which is hugely significant and and i suppose it's, it's also one of the things that facilitates the overall reduction in the in the level of n because i suppose the advice is really to replace some of the nitrogen that would have traditionally been used with, with n to maintain over uh, overall crop pr- uh, production that you p- potentially if you're using some sulfur you need a little bit less nitrogen okay so just to clarify that there, there, there have been instances where there's increased losses as a result of Sulfur is that is no, that no. what you said? Oh, the, the op- absolutely the opposite. That's, yeah, yeah. No, no, I just, I just, uh, it wasn't quite clear. <laughs> the search is showing that, that that we're getting significant reductions reduction in, okay. in, yeah. in good. Uh, good. nitrate losses when uh, when sulfur is there. And as Mark said, significant number of farms using uh, uh, sulfur, but I think there's scope for for a significant further number to shift to using a, a sulfur product and and there is a, a question mark about the, the our question in the in the questions there about uh use of protected urea and and sulfur and, and yes, there are products uh out there which are a combination of uh, uh sulfur and and protected urea broader question here why have we we why have we been asked to reduce fertilizer usage when we have been years reducing the usage in in the last uh, number of years uh, yeah uh, no and, and if you look if you go back to we, if we can hold on to the the, the 300,000 tons as as we've reduced it to over the last couple of years that's a, an absolute major major achievement and the 300,000 let's face it it's it was achieved in a time of crisis uh but uh, maintaining that amount, but but now the focus needs to be on on the formulation, the type of fertilizer we're using to maximize that that uh, environmental benefit of the the less polluting, if you want to call it that, uh, uh, fertilizer types. And that's about the Mark made the point, I think, very clearly about protected urea sh- shifting from can to protected urea will help us reduce the 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 nitrous oxide shifting from uh, urea to protected urea to helps get get the 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 ammonia uh, out of the system and then the 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 uh, shift to a, a uh, use of sulfur will help will help significantly on in relation to the the uh, loss of nitrates so those three shifts uh, uh, will help us to uh, achieve that target that we were set of the 50% drop in the loss of, of uh, a, a nutrient to the environment, which is, is the real target we need to be going after. Now, we do have a question here about how uh, anaerobic digestate compares with other fertilizers. And we, we will have a speaker next week uh, talking about this in more detail. But do you want to comment on that? Uh, maybe Mark from from your experience. Uh, yeah, um, the nitrogen tends to be more available, Mark. So again, you're you're probably going to maybe seventy to eighty percent of, you know, from you know from say thirty forty percent nitrogen availability. So again, you know, we, we very very much treated like a, like a fertilizer in terms of you know putting it out very close to when the crop needs it, and again using the the low emission technology to recover that nitrogen. So yes, uh, the nitrogen component would, would definitely be. Um, more available um, in the digestive coming from those uh, plants. Probably suited to a tillage environment where you are trying to... Well, tillage or grassland, yeah. Tillage or grassland, it would suit Mark, yeah. Um, Are you doing any modelling for nutrient leaching between current techniques and normal use of fertiliser by farmers to understand water contamination? Uh, So I suppose that's looking at, you know, the the, the timings, the, 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 you know, the various different application um methods 
Yeah, no, then there is there is a, 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 a modeling being done. Uh, LED Rowell in, in Moor Park has, has been taking a lead on, on modeling in, in this sphere of, uh, I suppose, as well as, as, as fertilizer use, it's, it's about uh, uh, management factors around the, the, the grazing platform, etc. So there is a quite a significant amount of modeling work going on there. Uh, somewhat of a, I suppose, an obvious statement in a way, if urea and can are such an, in- an issue, why doesn't the government legislate to reduce or remove them from the market or incentivize supply of the use of the better alternatives? Um, so I, I don't think you were ruling out can, but certainly urea was, was uh, the, there was obvious gains to be got there, I think. Yeah, yeah and I, I suppose that there are... Uh, uh, um, there are uh, can probably still has a place at a, at a lower level, but to me, the 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 use of unprotected urea just doesn't make any sense and, uh, uh, anymore. And you you could argue that uh, there's a, a small there seems to be a small cost associated with it, but I've done some figures on it. The a complete shift away from urea would would come at a cost to the industry to the farming industry of of five million euro. But we would get five million euro back of nitrogen, not lost in the form of ammonia. Five, there's five million kilos of loss of ammonia from that 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 urea, which would be maintained. So, in actual fact, there is absolutely no loss to farmers in terms of uh, the the shift to uh, uh, protected so. urea and a massive gain for the environment. But also, we're going to to face very significant fines, which will be uh, orders of, of magnitude of of that five million. So, to be honest with you, to me, it makes absolutely no sense for any farmer to use uh, unprotected urea uh, from here on in. And there were initially, I know there were some concerns about the implications on the food production and so yeah. on, but they they've all been uh, huge amount of work done on 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 showing that uh, no uh, issue in relation to food, no in, in issues in relation to soil. Yeah. So uh, uh, that work has been done. Uh, I suppose there's a a number of specific technical questions here that I don't think we're going to have time to go through, but maybe. You know, for for farmers who are looking for advice on on what nitrogen or uh, um, levels to use, Mark, uh, where where is the best source of information for them to look at? Let's say their own specific systems, their their own specific um, stocking rates, and so on. What where, yeah, where would you start? There's a, I suppose we can direct people in to a, in, a, in a number of places, Mark. Like I suppose, like really, it starts with a fertilizer plan. You know what I mean? Like you know. You, you know, work with your local advisor, get a, get a get a plan done there. You know, through NMP online, and it'll give you specific rates on a on a field by field basis. I suppose at a, at a we have the the Chagas Green book again, which is available there on, on the Chagas website. Again, that's a great place to start to see you know what's the recommended rates. And uh, we I suppose we had you know the other two or the other document there is the the the, the SI again. There's figures inside in the SI. So there's many 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 sources. Um. Of of figure of data available, Mark. But I, I think it's very much back to doing a fertilizer plan, um, right. and you know where you're taking everything into account, the, the side test results, the slurry, um, and then you're you know you're you're looking at what's needed then to balance up or supply the the remaining nutrients as as in fertilizer. Yeah, so speak to your advisor. Yep. Uh, there's a, a question there just to clarify uh climate action plan seems to have much higher target for use of protected urea than i'm talking about i was asking is there a, a, an inconsistency the the target of 80 to 90 percent is for 2030 uh and where i was looking at a, a, a progression through 2025 so i was looking at, at 2025 so not inconsistent with the the climate targets Okay, um, so just just to finish out that 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 piece on where to source knowledge, the web the Chagas website has a lot of really good fact sheets there, and uh, uh, but I think you're 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 bang on. I mean, the nutrient management plan really is a must for for people to really understand what what the needs of the crops, and I think it has to be said as well that not not every field. Uh, we're not looking to to drive on every field here either, because uh, it, it's just you know you may have different objectives. More uh, if you're you're based in uh, parts of the country where maybe ecosystem services are are more important, or uh, the environment uh, environmental objectives are different. Um, that 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 has to be reflected there. Um, 
uh, is there any research done on wh- uh, which looks at protected urea versus urea can when it comes to nitrate losses from soils? Uh, there's been some. Um, my understanding is that there's a somewhat less potential uh, loss of, of, of nitrate through leaching. Not huge, not hugely significant, but a, a, a slight lowering is, is my understanding. Okay. Yeah, we have... Yeah, sorry, Mark. Yeah, go sorry, ahead. sorry, and and the work would even show, Mark, that we can reduce our nitrogen. You know, there's there's an, a a long term fertilizer trial here in Johnstown Castle that we can reduce our nitrogen by about ten percent. You know, when we replace ordinary urea with protected urea. So again, you're retaining uh, more nitrogen in the system. We have a lot of questions coming in here, so we're going to try and just get through them. We have three minutes left, so let's uh, try try and uh, get through them. Uh, the question in relation to biostimulants and uh, their effect on nitrogen use efficiency. Uh, is there much work happening in this area or is it uh, is it early days? Yeah, there, I, look, there, there is a lot of products out there. I think it, it is early days around the research. Um, and look, yeah, I'd imagine in time that there, there may be products there that, that will bring, you know, something to the, to the equation in terms of improving uh, nitrogen use efficiency. Um, I don't, I don't know, Pat, do you want to make any comment? Or... Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. There's, there's uh, some that seem to have a prospect. There's others that may may not have. And there's a requirement for, I suppose, uh, research uh, in this space to, to, to look at them. Uh, and I suppose one of the, the challenges is is there's been so many have come out in the, in the last number of years that uh, doing uh, large scale trials on, on all of them it would be extremely challenging. Is there any research on foliar applications of nitrogen? Is there? There is. There is. There is work done. Yeah, there is done. There is. There is a limited amount of work done, Mark, and I think there's work um, kicking off or or starting. Um. Yeah. Again, look, foliar nitrogen. It's it's the same as kind of urea. It's a source of nitrogen. Um. It's very targeted. Um. You know. Um. Again, I like it in terms of you know in terms of the the target or the, the precision application. And yes, yeah, it's 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 a source of nitrogen. Um. Um, and, and again, I'd say that there is work done that would give similar performance to both CAN and uh, protected urea. You mentioned the uh, increase of fertilizer use in 2018 in response to the drought. Can you comment on the understanding? Uh, what you know was this effective, or did this actually give the you know improve production? And I suppose the question is, if if we're in that scenario again. Are we going to what? What sort of advice are we going to be giving people? Okay, I I think we uh, we put up our hands and said we we learned a lot and farmers learned a lot in 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 twenty eighteen, and uh, twenty eighteen was a long extended drought right into the August period, and uh, there was very significant fears that there would be shortage of of uh, fodder in in, in uh, that year. Uh, there was a, a poor allowance for, I suppose, uh, the, the amount of nitrogen that's naturally within the soil, particularly when you get drought and, and a breakup of the, of the soils and, and releases. And there was a, a degree of, of panic, I think is, is how you might best describe it in terms of the use of nitrogen uh, and trying to, to, to drive production. And since 2018, we've had a, a number of smaller but, but quite significant droughts and the amount of, of uh, nitrogen that, that has gone out in response to those has been very much less. So it was, uh, yeah, there was a degree of, of lessons learned. We saw uh, uh, even naturally there tends to be a spike in nitrate loss to water after a drought, uh, but that was exacerbated by the amount that that was used. And, and we have seen since then that the advice has been very strong about the uh, cutting back on nitrogen in those drought periods uh, and and only coming back in again with nitrogen when those those droughts end. So a lot of learning in that period. Uh, we saw a spike in nitrate losses to water that has been largely re- reversed uh, uh, since then. But it does take a while. If you if you have nitrogen going to groundwater, it takes a few years for it to to come out of the system. So yeah, hands up, mistakes made. Okay, well look, um, we are now a little over time, and we still have loads of questions. Uh, so unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get through everything. But I think it's it'll be nice to just finish on a comment that we've received here. And it says the farmers have to be given huge credit for 
the changing for changing practices to allow for a reduction in the chemical use uh, and nitrogen use across the country. If it was just price, farmers would have produced much more milk in 2022 at record prices. So um, that 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 is a nice way to, to to wrap up today's session and that there has been a huge change, huge response from from farmers on the ground. And also, I think uh, we must credit the the work of advisors across the country as well in terms of uh, facilitating and supporting that change. And, and of course, the industry as well. Uh, I think the Signpost program, uh, which you're working with, uh, Mark, uh, is doing great work in this space. And uh, I think people should check out the website if they are looking for more information about how they can contribute to reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. So to to uh, to paraphrase from somebody, a lot done, but we're only halfway there. A lot more to do in this. Space. A lot more to do. Um, but look, twenty thirty is looming, so we have to keep the the pressure on to 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 drive down these uh the the emissions. Uh, but look, it's it's, it's we we are making progress. So uh, thank you, Pat, and thank you, Mark, for joining us this morning. And uh, next week, we're going to be joined by Dr. Morris DC, who's going to be speaking to us about anaerobic digestion and the opportunities uh, in Ireland uh, for anaerobic digestion. I want to say thanks to uh, Mary O'Loughlin for helping us this morning on the technical side of things. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagas.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.